1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host Stephen Dozeman. Gramsci's concept of hegemony is often invoked, but usually as a means of cultural critique and analysis. However, my guest, Lorenzo Fusaro, argues in his recent book, Crises and Hegemonic Transitions, that Gramsci's work is permeated by Marx's economic critique and his theories of value. Split into two parts, The book is both a critical rereading of Gramsci, followed by a rereading of the last century of economic and political developments. The first half of the book involves a careful rereading of the key concepts in Gramsci's prison notebooks, rethinking concepts such as hegemony as being more closely related to the base instead of simply being superstructural description. Hegemony is not above and beyond economic dynamics and antagonisms, but emerges from them and changes alongside them. This allows for a broadening of the theory conceptually and also allows him to apply it to international relations instead of being confined to a particular state. The second half of the book then traces the economic history of the 20th century, starting with the rise of the United States in the international scene in the 1920s and following through to its eventual unraveling on the world stage in the present day. And even though the book was first published in 2018... At the end, Fusaro offered some speculations on how this reworked theory of hegemony might help us think about the recent COVID crisis and its aftermath. synthesizing theory, history, and economics, this is a book that offers a powerful punch and will reward readers from a number of different angles and offers some dynamic theoretical resources for understanding our current crisis and what might be just around the corner. Lorenzo Fusaro received his PhD in international political economy at King's College London. He is an associate professor of political economy at the Universidad Autónoma Metropolitana in Mexico and is also one of the editors of the recently published Revisiting Gramsci's Laboratory. Lorenzo Fusaro, welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, Uh, many thanks for uh... Uh, giving me this opportunity to to present uh, um, my book and thanks to all the listeners.
0: Yeah, so uh, to kick things off, we always like to have guests introduce themselves at the beginning. So could you maybe tell listeners a bit about your background and what your work and research tends to focus on?
1: Um, Well, at the moment, I'm uh, Associate Professor of uh, Political Economy. At the Universidad Autónoma Metropolitana in uh, in Mexico City, uh, and I mainly work on uh, on Marx. I teach uh, um, Capital, political economy, uh, but also uh, I I have uh, worked a bit, uh, quite a bit on um, on uh, on Gramsci. Uh, when the book we are going to discuss uh, uh, is uh, one of the uh, the work I have uh, written on uh, on him and uh, moreover uh, most recently uh, jointly with uh, other persons I have uh, published uh, another book uh, called Revisiting Gramsci's Notebooks
0: Wonderful, so to kick things off, your book is in large part an attempt to synthesize Gramsci's theory of hegemony with Marx's critique of political economy Um, So before we get to your approach to hegemony and economy, can you maybe give listeners a sense of how this sets your reading of Gramsci apart from other readings that have dominated in the last few decades, particularly, uh, I see him usually brought up as a sort of cultural theorist or literary critic. You're trying to bring him more towards economics. Can you maybe speak to that a bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, if in every crisis there is a lot of uh, talk uh, about uh, hegemony uh, or hegemonic transitions crisis of hegemony and of course one one of the main reference point uh, or person who has uh, developed or theoretician that has developed the, co- the concept of hegemony uh, is gramsci so uh, many analysis coming from international or critical international political economy are based uh, on Gramsci. And I can mention, for example, uh, world system theory or neo gramscian analysis. And uh, basically, uh, what uh, um, I attempt to do is to offer uh, a friendly critique of uh, of these approaches, um, mainly because I believe that they attempt to transpose concepts uh, with that Gramsci uh, actually developed uh, for the uh, analysis of, of of the national situation uh, to the international okay that's uh, uh, one problem they have they most of the time although they are, we, we have critical uh, theories they they detach themselves from uh, the main tenets of uh, uh, of of marx's um uh, capital okay so what i attempt to do in my reading uh, of uh, of gramsci tries to uh, underline the, this relation between uh, marx's capital uh, and uh, gramsci's uh, main work uh, the prison uh, notebooks i try to show that uh, uh, the although the prison notebooks are uh, mainly understood as a work on on the superstructure the the ideology also the state and so on, Um, I believe that uh, the law of value and uh, the main critique of political economy that Marx develops uh, is very important for understanding all uh, the main uh, Gramscian uh, concepts and the main narratives uh, he is uh, uh, developing in his uh, uh, main book. And in order to do that, I basically, I, I care to go back uh, to uh, the critical edition of Gramsci's notebooks, which of course is uh, in Italian, and um, uh, yeah, so but that's one. Uh, uh, those are some of the of the main uh, differences I have with uh, other uh, uh, interpretations.
0: Yeah, moving into the book. So in looking at various ways of using hegemony to study economic transitions, you say a good starting point for this would be what you call hegemonic stability theory. Can you give us a sense of what this theory is and how it helps us think of the economic transitions Marx has outlined regarding the transition from cooperative to competitive production?
1: Yes, I mean... Hegemonic stability theory is the sort of uh, mainstream um, uh, theory of, uh, of hegemony. And uh, what it uh, says is basically that that it's, in order for the capitalist economy to function, it's necessary to have a hegemonic uh, power. Actually, I mean, if you look a bit at the history of this theory, uh, you have uh, an important work by Charles uh, Kindelberger, and then uh, Robert Gilpin, uh, who exactly underlined the, this point, no? that the the necessity to have a hegemonic power, and therefore you have a sort of uh, positive connotation uh, when you analyze hegemony from that perspective, and you can also you could also even speak of a benevolent uh, hegemon and so on. And I I, st- I say that this is a starting point if you want to criticize or to to look critically at hegemony, uh, uh, using, for example, the work of uh, Giovanni Arrighi, okay? And and Giovanni Arrighi, he maintains that, uh, uh, proving on Gramsci, that uh, a state uh, becomes hegemonic when it can uh, credibly claim uh, to be a motor force of a general uh, expansion. What does this mean? It means that basically, Arig is looking at this critically, no? uh, saying if uh, a state wants to be hegemonic, it needs basically to convince uh, other allied, uh, group uh, states or subordinated states that it's in their interest to uh, have you know, this particular country as a hegemonic uh, country. Whilst uh, in hegemony, uh, with the theory of, the theory of uh, hegemonic uh, stability, uh, you have um, yeah a, posi- a position which is uh, completely different. There they say uh, that it's necessary to have a hegemonic power. So this is why I, I, I speak uh, or I say that it's a I, it's a good uh, point to start with. Yeah.
0: So working towards your understanding of Gramsci. Um, you bring up his theory of the state, which you describe as being uh, what you call an integral state involving a dialectical relationship between a couple different spheres that work together to educate citizens. Can you unpack this a bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the integral state uh, is something that is uh, very important in, uh, in, in Gramsci's uh, writings and that I somehow also use when I uh, attempt to theorize or or to retheorize uh, hegemony at the um, at the international level, and it's important uh, because Gramsci was asking himself, well, why are we having a, a revolution in the East, and uh, whilst in the West we have, for example, uh, fascism coming up, no, and so on, uh, and so. the one of the main uh, uh, arguments is that uh, uh, the integral state, as you mentioned as well, understood as uh, uh, the dialectical unity between political society and, uh, and civil society, is actually something that enables that in a situation in which you have a major crisis, uh, the system uh, does not uh, collapse okay so uh, I use that uh, element or, or this idea also when i i, I try to uh, theorize hegemony at international level because even the, even there uh, uh, it's not said that uh, in times of crisis you automatically have a crisis of hegemony or a hegemonic uh, transition um the um, Yeah, this is what I would answer.
0: Um, So from here you turn, uh, you were just mentioning crisis. So from here you go to uh, Marx and try and synthesize Gramsci and Marx together, particularly the Marx of Das Kapital with particular focus on the contradictions engendered by value and surplus value on the capitalist system as a whole and how it leads to a tendency for the rate of profit to fall over time. Can you maybe give us a sense of how contradictions function in Marx's theory of capital, and how this fits within your reading of Gramsci?
1: Well, I, uh, of course, the the, uh, the question of uh, contradiction in in Marx's Capital is a very uh, big theme, no, uh, and there are lots of works that try to figure out uh, how that works. There are different opinions uh, about that. What I attempt to do and the way in which uh, I um, take into consideration the contradictory character of uh, capitalist uh, accumulation and uh, uh, the different contradictions that uh, Marx uh, uh, outlines in Capital is to build what I refer to uh, as a, uh, an organic theory uh, of crisis. No? And there uh, I, I try to... I basically i associate uh, different contradictions between for example between production and consumption between uh, production and exchange to different uh, so called uh, monocausal uh, crisis uh, theories for example the theory of uh, uh, underconsumption or overproduction or another important theory of uh, financialization and so on, and I look at uh, I look at it uh, say a bit differently. I try to find a way uh, to articulate uh, all these different uh, uh, crisis theories, and uh, uh, in doing so, I mainly uh, try to read uh, Capital from a Gramscian perspective. Now, where uh, again contradictions are very uh, important. We, uh, we mentioned uh, uh, and contradictions and also what uh, Gramsci calls uh, organic uh, unities. Organic unities are uh, uh, like concepts made up of two uh, uh, different uh, contradictory uh, elements, you know, like uh, consensus and coercion, or uh, civil society and political society, and the same, we might also uh, apply when analysing these different contradictions uh, uh, or concepts in capital. As I mentioned, production and uh, consumption, production and exchange, and so on. And the basic idea behind uh, all of that is that uh, through uh, capitalist accumulation, the search for more and more uh, surplus value, there is a tendency for these uh, different parts that are uh, that compose an organic unity to separate uh, itself uh, from uh, one another so for example in the case of financialization where this, the fear uh, of exchange uh, outgrows okay and detaches itself from uh, production or the same when you uh, talk about uh, production and uh, and and consumption, okay? Uh, Also there, uh, you have the separation between these two uh, elements. Um, And so the idea is that you have, as uh, 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 capitalism uh, uh, progresses, you have this uh, uh, increasing detachment between between uh, these different parts. But also there, it's not said that this would lead automatically to a crisis. So the question is, when... uh, do you have the situation in which a possibility of crisis turns it into an actual crisis? And there, I integrate the question of uh, profitability. Okay, you mentioned the uh, law of the tendency of the rate of profit to fall, and I so they, they, I introduce it in order to uh, uh, attempt to say, okay, uh, this detachment between. Again, for example, uh, production and exchange is not uh, problematic in as far as uh, 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 profitability is enough to sustain uh, this uh, separation. Um, a concrete example, you, uh, if, if uh, the stock market or finance is growing exponentially and so on, and uh, production is uh, and profitability is as well, then you don't have a problem of um, uh, of uh, financing, say uh, this increase in uh, in, the, in the financial markets. Uh, but when uh, 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 profitability doesn't grow as fast uh, relative uh, to this to uh, uh, so finance and so on, then you have a, a, a then you have a problem and uh, you have also an increased prob- uh, probability that it will turn actually into uh, a crisis, uh, a concrete crisis. So uh, this is the way in which I try to articulate all these different contradictions in order, in order to build a, an organic theory of crisis.
0: Yeah, developing this a little more, often discussion about hegemony and contradiction uh, happens as if it only exists within a state or within certain national borders. But you argue that there's an international theory of hegemony, both with how hegemony is imposed and enforced and how contradictions can function at the international level. Can you unpack this a little bit for us?
1: Yes. uh, Many thanks for. Uh, for this question, as I, as I said at the beginning, uh, I attempt to reread uh, reread uh, Gramsci and to offer uh, a new way of uh, uh, analyzing uh, hegemony or hegemony at the international level, while funding it basically in uh, in uh, in Marx's uh, Capital. And there, I mean, the the starting point uh, is to see that. Uh, Gramsci had a dialectical, one might say, uh, analysis of uh, international uh, relations. So he was never analyzing uh, a nation on its own. Okay, he always said, okay, uh, if, if you want to analyze one single nation, you have to always take into account the influence that other nations are uh, 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 are. Uh, 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 giving uh, to specific uh, developments in, in, in the country or nation or state you want to uh, analyze okay uh, um, At the same time uh, um, these different uh, uh, nations uh, are sorry these different nations uh, are not equal okay? It breaks with this idea of um, of sovereignty or equal sovereignty amongst different uh, 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 comparing different uh, uh, national states, and there you have a a hierarchy between uh, between states, and uh, a hegemonic state in that sense is uh, comprehended as, as as a state that has what I finally call a uh, relative geopolitical autonomy that means that uh, they can a uh, uh, hegemonic state can take uh, decisions in a relative autonomous uh, way and other uh, states subordinated states will feel the influence of uh, of a hegemonic uh, state for example i mean i live say in in mexico um, and Uh, the decisions that uh, the United States uh, take have a a strong impact on what will happen uh, in Mexico what what the Federal Reserve uh, decides etc. has a big impact on Mexico, but not the other way around okay, so uh, uh, moreover, uh, in order to to reach uh, this uh, uh, relative geopolitical autonomy or or hegemony uh, you don't you cannot look simply at, uh, say, economic, uh, the, the economic performance, uh, economic indicators, and so on. You have also to analyze uh, the political element as well as finally the military uh, element. So you have to take into account uh, both, say, the, uh, the consensual aspect of power, but also the, 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 the coercive. Uh, aspect of power in order to analyze uh, in order to analyze hegemony at the international level. Uh, with this, I refer also to the a bit to one of the previous questions uh, regarding, say, my reading uh, of Gramsci. It's important to underline that uh, a crisis, um, our economic crisis, doesn't need. Uh, to uh, transform itself into a crisis of a germany. I mean, it can, but it's not necessarily the case. And it's, it's exactly taking into account this aspect of, uh, uh, of uh, economic, political, and I would say uh, also military power that enables you uh, to say, okay, so we have a crisis, but a hegemonic state has the possibility uh, to react to that crisis using uh, 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 the power, uh, uh, economic, uh, the economic, political, and and military power. Okay, uh, whilst other analyses of hegemony uh, usually say, okay, we have a decline uh, in uh, uh, GDP compared to other uh, 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 countries, uh, trade is declining, and so on. And that is interpreted already as a crisis of hegemony or uh, even a hegemonic uh, transition. So um, I I try to avoid that sort of uh, determinist or economistic um, um, reading. Um, uh, Yes, so this is the way in which I would answer uh, your question.
0: Yeah, So that brings us through the first half of the book where you do kind of a lot of theoretical development. Uh, The second half is it turns into something of a history book. Um, So you start with the U.S.'s rise to hegemonic power. Where it made a slow but steady ascent, which came to full fruition in the 1920s. Can you explain this history and how your uh, theory of hegemony that you've been developing helps us understand and rethink this history?
1: Yeah. Um, thanks for uh, for this question. Um, there is, uh, of course, a debate now uh, and different uh, historical analysis on the rise or of the United States to uh, hegemony uh, at the international uh, level. And most uh, analysis actually say that the U.S. became hegemonic only after World War uh, II, okay? And uh, what I'm attempting to argue in that uh, in, in the first historical uh, chapter of the book Is that the the U.S. actually became hegemonic um, already uh, during the interwar period after, let's say, after World War uh, One, with uh, an important qualification? I um, before uh, I was uh, saying that okay, hegemony has at international level includes the uh, economic, political, and and, and, and military. Uh, moment uh, there are also situations in which a country uh, uh, tries to be hegemonic without uh, having achieved uh, what I refer to as a completely realized uh, hegemony and I so I, I argue that okay the United States fully realizes hegemony after well, World War II that's correct but after World War one they have like a uh, a weaker form of hegemony that I refer to as um, Sturm und run uh, hegemony. And it's a weaker form of hegemony because, indeed, in that case, it's mainly based on, uh, uh, on its uh, economic supremacy. There are some uh, political uh, uh, elements, uh, but it's not the sort of hegemony that would, uh, the United States would, would construct Uh, uh, through World War II and after uh, World War II. Mm -hmm.
0: The uh, economic crash in the late 1920s followed by a decade of economic depression is often seen as unrepresentative of the contradictions of capital that Marx described. And you quote him thus, Instead of investigating the nature of the conflicting elements which erupt in the catastrophe, the apologists content themselves with denying the catastrophe itself and insisting, in the face of their regular periodic recurrence, that if production were carried on according to the textbook, crises would never occur. In contrast to this apologetic tone, you offer a fairly detailed Marxist analysis of this crisis. Can you maybe uh, give us a summary of that?
1: Yes, um, basically, um, I mean that quote is is interesting, and and I think it's it's a very pertinent quote, uh, not just for the great depression, but for major or for crisis uh, in general, no? Because differently uh, from say neoclassical economics and other. Uh, strands between economics theory, uh, where crises are mainly determined uh, exogenously. In Marx, they are uh, created by the very uh, contradictions that uh, build up uh, uh, in in capitalism. So you have this this strong contrast between uh, the mainstream view and the Marxist. Uh, you and within Marxism, as I was uh, mentioning before you have uh, different uh, interpretations. Now the, I, 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 before when speaking more theoretically, I attempted to uh, um, uh, mention uh, so some of the main uh, strands between within, uh, within Marxist uh, crisis theory. You know? as I mentioned under consumption, overproduction uh, and uh, crisis theory, that emphasise the role uh, of finance, and as well uh, the uh, rate, uh, well, the, the law of the, ten- the law of the tendency of the rate of profit uh, uh, to fall. Again, what I attempt to do is to integrate uh, these uh, different uh, crisis theory, uh, theories. Uh, so I I am not dismissing uh, uh, say the underconsumptionist uh, theory uh, proposed by Hobbes, uh, or uh, those which are uh, uh, based more on, on the question of uh, of finance, which actually don't need to be necessarily uh, Marxist, uh, and so on. So I I I, I say okay, both uh, these elements were uh, were present. Okay, uh, on the one hand, this uh, idea of uh, uh, growing inequality uh uh wages that were not rising as fast as uh, as before uh, compared to uh, 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 production um the increase uh, of the financial uh, sphere etc I don't deny the existence of uh, all of that those are important elements okay but at the same time we need to ask ourselves when do these uh, uh, problems, or as we said before, these contradictions uh, which are uh, building there turn into an actual crisis, and there is where I draw on the, the problem of uh, profitability. Now, and there you have also you have uh, analyses, for example, by Dumenil and Levy, who show how uh, 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 profitability was uh, uh, was basically. Uh, Declining, so with declining uh, profitability, it's it's difficult to uh, 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 pay off, say, dividends and so on, which are necessary uh, to uh, maintain the financial sphere uh, as uh, as uh, as it was, or a growing uh, financial uh, sphere, or to pay off debts, etc., that are building up. Uh, At the same time, lower profitability means that uh, wages uh, won't rise. Etc. So you have also this uh, issue of uh, uh, underconsumption that can manifest uh, itself. No, and uh, so uh, this is the way in which I attempt also in, uh, in this case to integrate uh, uh, these different uh, uh, crisis theories and analysis and actual analysis of uh, of crisis uh, of the Great Depression in this case.
0: Right. Um- Turning to some of the effects of the crisis, you argue that the hegemonic authority the U.S. had achieved in previous decades started to unravel here, and you even posit September 1931 as the symbolic start date for this unraveling. Can you unpack how the old hegemony came to an end in this time period?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned uh, before, uh, I start from the idea that this uh, form of hegemony that the United States constructed in the interwar period was a weak form uh, of hegemony. And this is why I believe the Great Depression effectively led uh, to uh, a crisis of, uh, of U.S. hegemony. And I understand a crisis of hegemony or of world hegemony when uh, uh, other states uh, are able to construct uh, hegemonic uh, relations, at least uh, uh, regionally. Okay, so the emergence of uh, competitors uh, uh, or competi- uh, competitors, states that are able to uh, construct hegemonic uh, uh, relations on, on their own. Uh, uh, Are a a manifestation of a a crisis of uh, world hegemony, and I believe that this uh, happened basically uh, 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 during the Great Depression. Um, So the main pillars upon which uh, U.S. or this weak form of U.S. hegemony uh, uh, rested started to crumble, no, or to or to collapse. uh, I mean, you can, uh, you can look at uh, um, at uh, income, uh, GDP, uh, trade, but also, for example, the control of the monetary system, no? uh, the, which the U.S. constructed after uh, World War I. Uh, also, uh, several agreements that the U.S. Uh, made after uh, the war Started to uh, be void, no? Okay, so you have um, uh, German uh, rearmament. You have uh, Japan invading Manchuria. So there are different elements that that point that uh, the, the the sort of hegemony the US uh, the US constructed uh, after World War, War uh, World War One uh, basically uh, uh, collapsed, uh, and, and this is why. I speak of a uh, first crisis uh, of, uh, uh, of U.S. hegemony during that period.
0: Yeah, moving forward historically a few years, in the wake of the Second World War, the U.S. emerged as the central hegemonic force in the world. But you argue that this wasn't simply a reassertion of the hegemony achieved before the Great Depression, but was a fundamentally new form of connection and control. Can you tell us a bit about this new model that emerged in the wake of the war?
1: Yeah, uh, this is a. I mean, the experience of the United States after World War II is a good example of uh, what I referred to as a fully uh, realized hegemony. So this time around, it's not the sort of uh, weak uh, form of hegemony built mainly on uh, uh, economic uh, power. It's also, it translates also at the, um, at the uh, political and uh, military level. No? It's something, it's a form of hegemony that is far more institutionalized uh, compared Uh, to the uh, the previous uh, form of hegemony. And very importantly, it's also uh, militarily cemented. And it's important to uh, mm, to grasp uh, all these uh, uh, different uh, elements and, and, and this complex architecture of US hegemony after World War II in order also to understand uh, what happens uh, afterwards? Not maybe we have a chance uh, to talk about that, but there uh, you have uh, many times this idea that the U.S. Uh, entered very, uh, uh, very shortly afterwards into an o- yet another crisis of U.S. Germany, and uh, there I argue that uh, the U.S. developed the means uh, to attempt to avoid uh, such a crisis. Yeah
0: there is a broad sense that in the 2007 financial recession us hegemony was finally threatened and that china has in more recent years started moving in to take the place we're leaving empty uh, but you trace the hegemonic decline of the us several decades previous and show that our hegemonic decline has been much, a much longer process and also involved advances made by other nations especially germany and japan who made tremendous strides starting in the 1980s, which forced the U.S. into a much weaker, more competitive stance. Uh, Can you give us a sense of this, where you're trying to rethink this decline and stretch it a bit farther back?
1: Yeah, I mean, what what you have there is is a big debate, you know, starting uh, from the 1970s on whether the U.S. entered uh, into a crisis of hegemony or not, right? And you have uh different positions on the one hand this, the idea that no uh, it's not the case the u.s uh, continued with uh, hegemony though with some uh, transformations another uh, who claim now uh, the, the u.s entered uh, already a, a crisis of uh, uh, of hegemony um I tend to argue actually that uh, the u.s didn't Enter into a crisis of hegemony uh, uh, starting from the 1970s. Exactly uh, because, as I said uh, before, they had the means uh, to maintain uh, the hegemonic position. With that, I also break with that uh, idea I started to outline at the beginning uh, of the interview that crises do not need to lead to, uh, necessarily, to lead to a crisis, uh, or economic crisis, don't need to lead to a crisis of hegemony, especially when uh, uh, when a state has the the capabilities and capacities to uh, maintain uh, its uh, uh, hegemonic um, position. And this is, uh, I believe, uh, uh, what happened. I mean, some argue that hegemony uh, basically disappeared as such even as a concept that it wasn't that, that it doesn't make sense to speak about um, hegemony uh, because competition between different national states uh, has uh, has disappeared and so on uh, so uh, i believe that's not the case competition between national states is still something very irrelevant if we want to understand the contemporary uh, i mean uh, the world economy. Um, at the same time, um, I believe that uh, the U.S. was able to block, to some extent, the ascent of uh, uh, competitors such as uh, uh, Germany or uh, or Japan, no, which were they were making advances in economic terms and so on. But given the sort of architecture that the United States constructed after. World War II, they were not able to translate uh, uh, that those sort of economic advances into uh, the construction the, the construction of um, hegemonic uh, relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is why uh, uh, I believe, uh, uh, or I, I try to expose that uh, the U.S. Uh, did not enter uh, into a crisis after um uh, after the cri- of, after the economic crisis of uh, of the 1970s. Um, At the same time, I also argue that uh, we slowly start uh, well not, not already in the 1970s, uh, later on, when we analyze uh, the rise of China, it's uh, interesting because it occurs, I argue, Outside U.S. hegemonic relations, so while the U.S. were able to block the ascent uh, and the establishment of uh, regional, say, hegemonies in uh, both in, in in Germany and uh, in Japan, it wasn't able to do that with with China. Exactly because it uh, it uh, developed outside uh, hegemonic. Uh, Relations.
0: Yeah, finally, turning to the 2007 fiscal crisis, you actually, in a way, take the beginning of that crisis back to around 2005 with decelerated growth for housing prices, which then spiraled in a number of stages with different countries responding in different ways. And you then connect this back to the tendency of the rate of profit to fall. So can you unpack how you understand this crisis?
1: Yeah, also... In this case, I attempt to I attempt to integrate uh, these different uh, crisis theories. Right uh, again, I mean, as in the case of the of the Great Depression, you have different Marxists arguing that it was a underconsumptionist uh, crisis uh, with low wages that led to high indebtedness and so on. Uh, for, uh, or, relatedly, there was a crisis of uh, overproduction, uh, or uh, theories uh, who, uh, that argue uh, for uh, the increase of, uh, or the enormous increase of the financial sphere, and even talk about, say, financialized uh, capitalism. And so, and then you have others who say, no, it, it's just uh, the profitability or the rate of profit. So what I, again, attempt to do is to integrate uh, uh, these different uh, aspects. And uh, so what I argue is that uh, attempting to exit the crisis of the 1970s and so on, the system uh, or the, the capitalist world economy uh, uh, builds up uh, different uh, uh, contradictions, which are, in fact, I mean, the, the, the analysis of financialization is one of those uh, inequality uh, is one of those uh, uh, um, uh, low wages or um, flat wages or decreasing wages uh, are another uh, important element, you not know, that characterize well say neoliberalism or the exit of uh, uh, the the way in which capitalism tried to overcome the crisis of of the 1970s. And so how to relate all these uh, uh, problems? Uh, I say, okay, um, uh, these different uh, problems or contradictions are indeed uh, related to profitability in in the sense that The enormous increase uh, of assets, financial assets, etc., becomes uh, problematic when profitability relative to the growth of those assets uh, remains low. So you you can even argue even if profitability rises, mm -hmm, but not as fast or not as rapidly as it would be needed to sustain all this uh, financial mm, uh, bubble, then you have uh, a problem. Okay, and actually, I mean, and even there you have this debate: uh, how far uh, uh, profitability uh, grew, uh, whether that's a problem or not. So, I I, I try uh, to uh, uh, to focus always in, in relative uh, uh, terms. Uh, but uh, in I believe that it uh, uh, calculate or not. I believe I, I I mean I saw interesting calculations that show that the rate of profit, even if it recovered a little bit. It never reached the stage uh, that it had, uh, say, after World War II. So it was low uh, profitability, but always, I repeat, compared to uh, uh, compared to uh, to uh, the the growth of the financial uh, sphere, or compared to the, the disequilibria that. Uh, uh, uh we have related to, for example, uh, inequality. Um, so this is, again, the way in which I try to uh, integrate these different uh, crisis uh, theories.
0: Yeah, with that, that kind of brings us through uh, most of the book. I'm wondering if we can just go a little beyond what you wrote. Um, we're currently on... What is possibly the tail end of the COVID epidemic, although some parts of the world are still struggling, of course. But I just want to kind of ask how uh, you see the last year functioning potentially as a sort of hegemonic crisis. Um, Obviously, it threatened public health in a huge way, but it also the danger brought to the surface a lot of uh, underlying economic antagonisms that were already present. Um, And then a little beyond that, um, there's also, I see a lot of people, particularly on the left, wondering if we are kind of on the tail end of neoliberalism uh, in some way, if uh, that crisis kind of forced that phase of capitalism on its way out. Um, I recognize you may not have like a super fleshed out answer here, but I'm just wondering if I could get your thoughts on kind of how this last year functioned as a crisis and what are maybe some signposts we should be looking for that uh, it actually forces some sort of hegemonic transition, even if we don't know yet if it actually will.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Many thanks uh, for this question. And um, as I said at the beginning, in every crisis, uh, you have many talks about uh, uh, crisis of hegemony and the hegemonic transitions. Now, uh, in particular, related, of course, uh, to the rise of China and so on. And then many times you have: "This is it, no? This is now the final or the final crisis uh, of uh, of U.S. hegemony uh, and so on." No, and I'm uh, as I try to demonstrate throughout this book economic crisis, there's no automatism that they lead to a crisis of, uh, uh, of hegemony at the international level. Uh, if, you read, if you read the press uh, 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 it's interesting because a year ago, everybody was saying, okay, it's really the crisis of US hegemony, uh, China is a uh, um, uh, actually even sending airplanes to the U.S. with aid, no, a medical aid, uh, also to other countries and so on. Um, and now, one year afterwards, with the election of Biden and so on, uh, the, uh, what you read in the press is completely different, okay? You say, okay, the U.S. is again asserting itself, it is building its alliances again in Europe, uh, also in the, in the Far East, etc., to attempt to contain uh, the rise uh, of China. And uh, so I, I believe that one needs to be uh, uh, careful. So for one thing, I would say, that those uh, analyses that uh, are mainly built on uh, uh, on 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 Gramsci, for example, neo-Gramsci analysis, that uh, actually uh, maintain that uh, we are in a war, uh, well, that we entered after nineteen seventy a war that goes beyond uh, national states, uh, has a problem in analyzing uh, what is going uh, on. So. I think that what we are seeing is uh, a a reaffirmation of the importance uh, of national states when we analyze uh, and the competition between national states when we analyze the world economy. And I think that this COVID crisis uh, uh, is uh, um, actually um, going uh, towards. Making the state even more important and more assertive uh, 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 at the international uh, level. So there is talk about the control of uh, specific industries. Uh, you cannot uh, leave uh, um, uh, the specific. The production of, of 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 specific and important goods to uh, uh, international normal international competition and so on. So you have to uh, uh, control those, and this is building again some uh, one would say uh, blocks. Okay, so I'm uh, uh, to, to summarize. I would say that. Um, um, the crisis uh, is uh, um, might lead uh, to uh, perhaps indeed a crisis of uh, of uh, U.S. hegemony, but understood in terms of, as I said, uh, a um, or, or defined as uh, a situation in which you have uh, another state that is able to construct hegemonic relations, at least at the uh, international, uh, at least at the regional level. And that would be, uh, in this case, uh, uh, China, um, perhaps. So there is a strong uh, conflict going on. But to speak about the hegemonic transition, I wouldn't uh, say that that's a far more long and complex uh, process. Okay, uh, Unfortunately, uh, uh, this increased uh, geopolitical uh, competition uh, is something that uh, uh, might create, uh, well, uh, lead to a period of uh, well more intense, uh, at least uh, political competition uh, and, and, and even military in some uh, parts of the of the world economy. I think. Um, When it comes to uh, neoliberalism and so on, uh, I believe that, uh, okay, there is a problem with the legitimacy of neoliberalism uh, or uh, that we might uh, uh, express uh, with a concept. I take again from Gramsci, which is the concept of the organic uh, crisis. And this is when uh, civil society basically detaches itself from the state or political society. When uh, uh, subordinated uh, classes stop believing in what leaders uh, are saying, what what the, the normal form of, of maintaining uh, the consent of the population is not working uh, in the usual manner. And, it, and this opens a very uh, difficult situation. Again, it's not <laughs> automatic that this leads... To uh, something more progressive, or so. Well, we know, you know in the U.S. with Trump, uh, in other in Italy, uh, in Brazil, in lots of different places. Okay, with an important increase, uh, for example, of the far right. You know? so this can also lead to do, uh, this sort of uh, uh, um, situations. And uh, so, and whether this uh, uh, lack of legitimacy uh, uh, that, uh, neoliter- uh, that neoliberalism uh, is, uh, is living will, will indeed uh, lead to its uh, supersession? I think it's a very uh, open question. I mean, uh, in, say, uh, in, in there, in hegemony uh, plays an impo- uh, also at the international level, plays an important uh, role. The U.S., have the capacity to uh, uh, print money, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to um, uh, have uh, expensive uh, programs and so on, uh, this is not the case for all uh, countries, okay? Uh, so um, in, in some subordinated countries uh, you, you could have even a problem of over-indebtedness, which might lead, again, to practices that we usually associate with uh, neoliberalism. Uh, again, cuts in uh, public spending, uh, in wages, and so forth. No? So uh, uh, we have to differen- uh, differentiate, uh, I think, also uh, 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 when we talk about the end end Or not of neoliberalism of 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 the different uh, countries, the different situations, and so on. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Uh, thank you very much for your thoughts on that. So, as a final question, we always like to ask: What, if anything, are you working on now? Do you have any new projects you're developing, or just directions you're researching in?
1: Yeah, I'm actually i I have two. One is a more a short term project. uh, which I'm working on with uh, um, our political economy research group at the Universidad Autónoma Metropolitana, and we are basically working on uh, Marx's uh, general law of capitalist uh, accumulation. Uh, It's an important uh, uh, law in Marx's capital, but we noticed that Uh, When you look at the literature, or at least the recent literature, it's not uh, something that uh, uh, academia, not only academia, uh, has considered uh, uh, enough. So this is uh, what we are uh, uh, working on at the moment. And we are working on a book, uh, a collected uh, 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 work with different uh, uh, essays on that uh, subject and uh, i'm also uh, working on um, another project that attempts uh, basically to make somehow a step uh, backward uh, with uh, the work i have been presenting today and i'm looking uh, at different uh, possible uh, um, uh, possible reasons for why Uh, uh, some uh, states uh, are able to break uh, hegemonic uh, relations, existing hegemonic relations, and uh, finally or possibly rise uh, and develop as a great uh, power or a hegemonic state. And in doing that, I am basically looking at uh, revolution. So I analyze, say, the, the revolution in China Uh, as something uh, important that enabled China uh, to develop outside U.S. hegemonic relations. Or I'm even looking at uh, uh, the U.S. revolution for independence and uh, the civil war uh, uh, as a way in which also the U.S. actually uh, 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 was able to break uh, with hegemonic relations, in this case with uh, Uh, related to Great Britain and so on, and then to rise as a hegemonic power. So this is what I'm uh, looking at and working on at the moment.
0: Yeah, excellent. You've got a lot of really good stuff in the works, it sounds like. So uh, Lorenzo Fusaro, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Well, thanks to you. Many thanks for giving me this opportunity.